Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate, personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. This episode is no exception to that tagline. We have none other than Megan Hilty, who has an up-and-coming concert series at 54 Below, November 2nd through 7th. It's the 54 Below Diamond Series that is Laura Benanti, Megan Hilty, Jennifer Holliday, and Kelly O'Hara just four powerhouses of our community. And actually, this episode is a special crossover episode between my podcast and the Feinstein 54 Below podcast that you can read more about at bpn.fm slash 54 below. So this episode will go out into both feeds. Make sure to check out that feed as well. This is a side of Megan Hilty that I hadn't seen before, and in a good way. She was very honest and very raw, and we know her from these these great characters she plays on stage, and even from TV, of course, and Smash, and all these these other comedic, cartoonic voiceovers that she does in, in cartoons. And we got really into, into mental health a bit about maintaining her success, and she got, like, angry, really sad with with the closing of 9 to 5 she was telling the story of when that musical closed it came out of nowhere and and affected her in a way that she knew she had to leave New York in order to stay sane and and continue with her career she had to just put theater on on pause for a second so she moved back to LA found more avenues that expanded her career which of course have brought her back to Broadway this is a story that I hope you're as, as excited to hear as I was to discover. Give me a little follow on Instagram and Twitter. Let me know you're listening. I would love to hear from you. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. And now everybody, please get your tickets for November 2nd through 7th at 54 Below. And then everybody, please enjoy this episode with Megan Hilty. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here you go. One, two, three. 
Today's guest is a Tony Award-nominated actress, maybe best known for her portrayal of Galinda in Wicked. Other Broadway credits include Doralee Rhodes in Dolly Parton's 9 to 5, the musical, and Brooke Ashton in Noises Off. She became a worldwide triple threat known as Ivy Lynn on NBC's musical drama Smash. Other television credits include recurring roles on Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, The Good Wife, Braindead, and Louie, among many others, and she can be seen performing across the globe to sold out houses including concerts with the New York Pops at Carnegie Hall I'm going to get a breath and the National <laughs> Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center and the New York Philharmonic at Lincoln Center she's recorded three albums of her own and is now making her 54 below debut Woo-hoo! with a six show series running from November 2nd to 7th Megan Hilty welcome to this very special crossover episode between the theater podcast and the Feinstein's 54 below podcast Hey, how's it going? Good. My I gotta catch goodness, my breath after a, all that. That was quite the intro. Wow. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. And thank you for doing so much for all of us to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so 54 below. Uh, you're you're coming. It's coming up this this concert. Everybody, go get tickets to Fifty Four Below. Uh, to your show, Fifty Four Below. You can go to your Instagram, get tickets. Go to Fifty Four Below, get tickets. Uh, but this is actually your Fifty Four Below debut. Yes. Yeah. So there have been many years of you, many years of Fifty Four Below. Why just now is this coming to be? You know, it's it's only now just worked out uh, to be a possibility because uh, with concert. Concert contracts are uh, are a little different uh, in that you kind of have to sign off on not performing within like ninety a ninety mile radius of whatever theater you're performing in for uh, you know for at least like a couple months before and after. So really? that yeah, so that the ticket sales aren't competing for the same oh. the same market, and it makes sense. You know, at first it's like oh that you know that's weird, but but when you think about it, it actually makes sense. You don't want to split your audience between two places, so you know it just hasn't worked out until right at this moment for this um, incredible thing that they're doing with the Diamond series. Yes. Yeah, it's more like an experience than just a concert. It's a four-course dinner. You know, it's it's not your typical 54 Below show where there's multiple shows in a night. Like, you come, you you spend some good time eating this amazing dinner, and then you get that one show of the evening for whatever artist you're there to see. Um, I'm hoping you come and see mine, <laughs> but like Kelly's already done hers. Kelly uh, Bonanti, yeah. yeah, Laura Bonanti, um, is well into her amazing run there. And then Jennifer Holiday is going to be, uh, performing it, I believe in January. Can so, we talk about her Tony performance for a oh second? Oh my God. Yeah. She's, oh, she's amazing. She's an icon. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard, and, and you seem, you're friends with her. Yeah. And maybe you know, oh, I don't maybe. know her. I, I don't you know don't? her. I'm just a fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought, th- gosh, I just assumed that like all Broadway divas of which you are part of in my <laughs> mind, I'll just have the secret Broadway diva club, right? Where you Listen, hang out. I've got my, I've got my club of Broadway divas, but you know, uh, unfortunately I haven't, I haven't, uh, 
uh, had the honor and pleasure to to befriend Miss Holiday. Well, yeah. that's it. Uh, Jennifer <laughs> is a one is an avid listener of this podcast. Yay! I'm sure. So, <laughs> Jennifer, reach out to Megan. You guys need to be friends. Oh, please, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, where? Tell me about the story, though, because when you're when you're crafting the story of of the of the show, right? Because Fifty Four Below, it's it's like traditionally cabaret sort of mm-hmm. uh, concerts, and everything I've ever seen there has been a story about that person. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's which is basically sort of what I guess vocabularies are, right? It's a showcase what you can do, showcase who you are. And uh so was this sort of an easy thing for you to put together when you're putting together the show? Because you've got a big swath of of content and interests and credits. And so how do you how do you condense it all into into one performance? Well, um Years and years ago, I did not want to do the cabaret scene. I did the, like the idea of like a one person show just made me so nervous because I was like, I don't have like a story to tell. I don't have like a beginning, middle and end and something to leave people with. But it wasn't until it became clear that it's not about that. The whole, the whole point, uh, of doing these concerts is to see an artist as themselves and not the Mm. characters that they play. And so once I discovered that that's what it's really about, it became so much easier to approach putting together a set list. Um, And really what's most important is picking these songs that, that are important in some way to you as the performer. Um, And, uh, the songs come first, and then you then the arranging of them to make sure that the energy is flowing correctly throughout the show. You don't have too many ballads together. You don't have too many of the same type of things together, so that you know you want to keep people interested and and kind of go on this almost like roller coaster of an energy journey. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yes. um, uh, that has natural ebbs and flows and. Um, uh, and I, I'd like to think that over the years, I think I've been doing this for like 10 years now. Um, I, I have a general sense of what's going to work and what things need to be where to in what things need to be in certain places to make sure that I don't lose everybody. That's that's really cool. I mean, it's it's more or less like workshopping uh, a Broadway show, right? You want to make sure that that the story flows and that the songs are in the right order and and whatnot, and adding and, and cutting. So, do you do this? Did you put this all together on your own, or like when you're looking back at your life? I, I'm thinking from a personal lens, right? If I were, if someone were to say, Alan, you've got like two weeks to put together a cabaret show for something, you know, duplex 54 below, green room 42, whatever the case is. I don't even know where I, where or even how I would start. <laughs> so where do you, where do you begin? Where do you begin with, with, I mean, do you start at the beginning? Like I, I'm born and this is a song that represents no, me. No, no, no. Um, no, I, uh, so like I said, I started doing these types of shows about 10 years ago and it's, I just learn from each and every show. It's not like this is the first one that I've ever done and I have to start from scratch. Luckily, I've had, you know, years and years to kind of hone this. And um and just as these shows are supposed to show you who we are as people, um aside from our characters, we're constantly changing. And like uh, I'm constantly doing different projects which add different repertoire to so like these concerts at 54 below will these will be the really the first ones that have stuff from uh the film that i did with 
Jesse Mueller, Patsy and Loretta. So, mm. you know, and we've kind of taken those and, and morphed them into our own arrangements to fit our band, to fit the setting, to fit the context of the show. So, so it's not like we had to go and start from scratch. There's a lot of stuff that's already there. The What it comes down to is understanding who our audience is. Um, you know, we have a very theater-savvy New York crowd, and that's a very specific thing, and that's different from from uh, other cities that we might play, you know, that might that might come in not knowing who I am at all, mm-hmm. you know? So that's something to consider too. There's a lot of things to take into consideration. And luckily, um, I'm coming back to New York, you know, where I, I feel like for this series in particular, you're going to buy the ticket because you know the person, you know? Um, right. uh, there's I, I don't feel like there's going to be a lot of people that I'm really introducing myself to. for th- so this. So that makes it a very unique set of circumstances, which allows me to pull songs that wouldn't necessarily work anywhere else. Is that some, some sort of like, uh, inner, inner struggle or inner, uh, I guess, a, a dichotomy of sorts in that you, you are counting on the fact that people know who you are in this area, but at the same time, there's a little bit of, of, Gosh, I, it's all on me because you said it. You said originally that you were nervous to start doing these one-person shows. So now, are you at a point where you're like, I have a reputation. I'm okay. I'm doing all right in this New York savvy theater savvy crowd. Or is there still part of you that's like, are, am I? Are people going to want to come see me? Oh, there's always that. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's always that. Um, but what it, what I always come back to, like I'm always nervous for everything, uh, which I think is a good thing, because um, it keeps me on my toes. I'm always <laughs> I'm always trying to do better. You know, I'm not I'm not phoning anything in. And honestly, during the run of this show, if something is not working, I will switch it with something else. Like that's that's the luxury with these longer runs is that like I can really feel you know not that I I'm not plan I don't. I don't think that anything's going to fall totally flat, but it, if it doesn't feel perfect, we have so much stuff in our repertoire that we can we can change the run for the next night. Or my band is so amazing that I can call an audible during the show and they'll go with me and we'll just do something that wasn't planned. Wow. You know, but they're but they're right there with me and they know all of these songs so well. We've been doing a lot of them for a really long time. And there's everybody's just so in sync with each other that, um, that we're able to do that. That's, that's kind of how I've constructed these shows. You know, I, my band is made up of my husband and, Hmm. uh, and three of our best friends, you know, um, it's, we want you to feel like you have stumbled into our living room and we're all having a really great time together. I just happen to be wearing a really fabulous gown, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) on top of it. Um, uh, I forget where I was going with this, but um, all that to say, uh, uh, yes, I'm always ner- nervous for many reasons. But um, uh, the great thing is, I have surrounded myself uh, with the best people on stage, and what it comes down to is us just having a really awesome time together. And we hope that that reaches, you know, everybody in the room. Like I said, we want it to feel like. You're in our living room. So talk to me about where where you started as a little kid and how you got into theater. Because I, we're going to get to the to the iconic 
never dying family of Wicked. This show is going to run forever. <laughs> forever. Right? We're, yeah. we're going to get there. But but before that, you had to start somewhere. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle. Well, just outside of Seattle in Bellevue, Washington. Um, and I grew up uh, always singing, like always. And um, my mom got me into voice lessons at an early age. And my voice teacher uh, said, you have a voice for classical uh, for classical music. And so she started putting me in all of these classical competitions. And, um, I went to, a, an apprenticeship program with the San Francisco opera. I really thought that I was going to be an opera singer. Um, but at that apprenticeship program, uh, they, I, I discovered that you, we wouldn't really work until our mid thirties because that's when a, a female voice matures. Um, huh. Yeah. Right. And telling a 16 year old that is like, that felt like forever away. That felt like I'm, I'm never going to be 35, you know? Um, and so I, I went down the musical theater route, but I was always doing community theater. I, I was part of a Gilbert and Sullivan theater troupe. Um, and, and I did during the summers, I did a youth theater that took up the whole summer where we built the, stages, we made our costumes, you know, and, and, uh, and performed for the whole school district at the beginning of the school year, right at the end of summer. So it was all, I was always a part of, um, theatrical productions and singing always. What is it about the culture? Is it culture? Was it chosen family? I, I say, what is it about the culture? But was, was it that, that, that drew you into theater? Because like, what is it for you that brings you back to the stage every time? Because I, I know that there are so many stage Broadway performers that like go TV and film, and then you do tons of cartoon voices and voiceover work and whatnot. But what I find that and tell, correct me if I'm wrong for you specifically, but people always want to come back to the stage. They always want to come back to theater sure. because there's something about that live moment. Well, yeah, it's a very primal human connection. That's it. Like, that's it. It's a, the theater is the only type of arts where you, there is a, an exchange of energy, you know, so that will never die because we always need people. We always need that connection, you know? Um, so yeah, it's it's completely understandable that everybody always wants to flock back to the theater, whether you're doing a concert or, you know, a play or a musical or an opera, what have you, any anything. Um, we always, always, always need that human connection. Was that, is that what, sort of looking back at your life uh, as a young child, was it that sort of thing that drew you to it as a kid? Or did you not realize that until like later on in life? I don't know. To be quite honest, I think I just, it filled certain needs that just children in general have, like feeling feeling like you belong to something. I think that's really important for young people to feel like they're you're connected uh, and you belong to some kind of group. And for me, it was my, my theater pals, uh, most of whom I didn't go to school with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I also, like I said, I was always singing. So having an actual outlet for that was necessary. Um, and it was kind of addicting, you know, and, and I mean, to be super duper honest too, you know, I got a lot of attention when I was on stage, you know, I never mm -hmm. got that like in life. So as a young person in particular, that was really important to me 
as well, you know, getting attention, getting to use my voice and feeling like I belonged somewhere. Uh, you know, it checked all of those super important boxes. Um, yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. I have two younger sisters. They're twins and they're gorgeous. They're like <laughs> five inches taller than me. They have really dark hair and they tan and like, they're like just, and they're funny and like smart and stuff. So like everybody loves them. So that was another thing is that my, uh, my family all like to joke that that was the only reason why I became a performer because it was the only way that I could get any kind of attention because <laughs> my sisters I, got it everywhere else. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I asked that because <laughs> you're saying as a kid you didn't get attention, but but as the old as the oh, oldest no, no, no. child, like I was yeah. the oldest child too, and I was yeah. always demanding, like, look at me. Yeah, I am the oldest. Yeah, I think I just required extra attention. Yeah. <laughs> Say what you will about what that means about me, but <laughs> some people no, I get it. Some people are like that, and and no matter, gosh, it's no matter how many accolades you get and how successful you are. I I always I like the quote that Andre De Shields gave in his Tony acceptance speech a couple of years ago, where he said the the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. Yeah. That is that puts perfectly into words yeah. how so many of us operate. It's just like we're we're there's something in the back of our heads. Like, we're just not good enough. We're just not there. We're just mm-hmm. not able to fulfill whatever ache that is. Yeah. And then we get where, and we think that, you know, we're, we're continuing on and we get there and we're like, okay, so I'm here. Cool. Now I guess I'll just keep on going. Yeah. Well, there is and, no end point. There is no like point of success. Like there, it's all ebbs and flows. It's, it's going to come and it's going to go and you're going to be busy and you're going to be like, you know, dying for work, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant ever-changing battle. (laughs) Well, how did you then, taking it back to you then, how did you, do you sort of branch out and do so much? Because it feels like all of these things you're doing could be one career in, on their own, right? So you've got the musical theater, you've got TV and film, and you've got voiceover work, and you've got the independent, the concert, the concert traveling and touring. And, being a mom, that's a hard enough job in and of itself. I mean, I know how you got to be a mom. That's pretty simple biology. But um, <laughs> the the whole, uh, all of the other uh, roles that you're doing, why why did you keep adding? And not saying that as a bad thing. I'm curious yeah, to, to yeah. explore this as to say, why why continue to grow when all of these require so much so much time on their own? Right. Well, a long time ago, actually, when I when I came out to LA with Wicked, which was a long time ago, I want to say like, is it 12 years ago? Uh, 13 years ago? It was a long time ago. Um, sure, sure, we'll go with that. Uh, but I came out to to establish the sit-down company of Wicked out in Los Angeles. And that's when my my horizon started to broaden a little bit because for a long time, once I decided musical theater was it, I was like, oh, that's it. Like, I don't want to do television, movies, like all that, you know, I was real like, I don't know what I had against everything else, but um, uh, once I came out here, a lot of other opportunities started pr- to present themselves, especially being in that that platform of being in Wicked in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, I started to really like question where I wanted my career to go at that point. And, and in doing that, I was like, well, whose career do I want to emulate? And 
the person who came up immediately was Bernadette Peters. And now before I go any further, I want to clarify that I, I never, the goal was not to be Bernadette Peters because nobody can be Bernadette Peters. She is a singular (laughs) talent and nobody, and I think it is foolish for anybody to try to be another person. That is not what I'm saying. What, what I wanted to emulate was the many different branches, her career you know, the tree of her career had, you know, um, because she did it all. She did movies, television, voiceover, concerts, Broadway, and dominated all of them, you know. Um, and might I add, an amazing person on top of dominating mm-hmm. everything, you know, like everybody wants to work with her because she's a phenomenal person on top of her talent. Anyway, um, so I started thinking, oh, maybe the, cr- the key to longevity in this business is to diversify and to have all those branches, you know? Um, And, and it was always a dream of mine to be in voiceover and animation. Um, I, you know, like so many people, I wanted to be a Disney princess growing up. I didn't want to like put on the gowns. I wanted to do the voices. I wanted to sing the songs. I didn't want to look like them. I just wanted to like, (laughs) I I specifically wanted to voice them. And, um, and so I started. Uh, I, I I started going down that route. Yeah, that was like 14 years ago that I got my uh, my voiceover agent out in Los Angeles and started really because that is a very different career. Absolutely, very different. It, it's it's just a whole different. It's a different talent. It's a different uh, business sense. Like every every cent, and I love it. It is probably my absolute favorite thing to do ever. Um, and luckily I started pounding the pavement 14 years ago and just chipped away and chipped away and paid my dues and paid my dues and, um, and have built this thing that I'm super proud of, um, in the animation world. But the same thing with, uh, and all of these things just kind of terrified me, you know, um, TV, film, concerts, all of these things, they just sounded like, you know, they're so different. You know, I, I, but at the same time, what, what I've, what I started learning really quickly is that, um, by doing these other things, these other mediums, it actually makes me better in the other things, if that makes sense. Like, it's just, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it, by opening my, my world up, you know, to those different types of mediums, it just fed, like like the TV stuff fed the theater thing in in a in a host of different you know um, ways that I mean we could talk all day about that um, but yeah I it became a long time ago apparently like fourteen years ago it became very important to me to diversify so that I could ha- actually have a long career in this business. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm glad that you said the thing about the, the TV uh kind of crossing over because that's I wanted to ask about Smash next because that's that's it's been a hot minute since the since that was out and um that propelled any well I guess sort of the fortunate and unfortunate part of the Broadway world is that to be it's really really hard to get like super famous and super and therefore some would say super successful um in just on just Broadway stage. So then you add TV and film to that and that boosts people to a whole different level, right? Mm -hmm. So you've taken the Broadway, the singing, the performing and put it on TV, which has taken you as your career. Like you said, one, one helps the other. So now on a national and international level, people see you on TV doing what you used to do just for in-person Broadway audiences. And it's pushed everything into a whole new realm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, so, yeah. <laughs> so looking, but looking back on that though, like um, I don't know the order of operations of, of your TV career. So what, were you already sort of, um, were you already deep into the TV and film world before Smash came along or did that propel um, the TV and film afterwards after no, you got well I, known for No, Smash? no, no. I was trying, I was trying to, uh, to, like knock down the door to the television world. And before, before smash, I had done some like small roles, some recurring roles and stuff like that. So I, so the TV world was not like this totally, you know, unknown thing when I got smash. Um, but it was a very, very, um, uh, it, 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 I didn't just like fall into it. It was a very like, not calculated, but like I, I left New York after nine to five closed. I mean, if we're going to get real, real, real about this, I was, I was, I was really brokenhearted about how nine to five closed. That was one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life was getting our, our closing notice for nine to five. It didn't make any sense to any of us playing to all of these like sold out houses that were screaming on their feet, singing with us and dancing at the end of every show to get our, we just didn't, it made zero sense. And I was really, um, I, I had, um, come back to New York from LA where I was doing wicked and we did the out of town tryouts, uh, for, for nine to five in Los Angeles as well. And, um, and so when we got our closing notice, I decided, um, because I was so sad and angry to be really honest. I was like, I can't stay here. I can't stay in New York. I need to, uh, like people will smell (laughs) the (laughs) anger and the hurt, you know, I'm not going to get a job here. I think this is the time to go back to LA and start pounding the pavement and really trying to break into the TV and film world. Because also by that point, I had done many um, readings and workshops and helped 
like develop these shows for people where at the end they're like, we love you. Nobody could do this better, but we have to cast somebody from television or like a pop star or a movie Mm -hmm. star. You understand, right? You know, because we have to sell tickets. And so finally, after that had happened a handful of times at the end of nine to five, I was like, fine, if that's what you're going to hire, I'm going to go be that. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to get some TV credits so that I can actually like (laughs) work in these shows that I'm helping to develop, you know, like, um, so I, you know, it, it was kind of a, it was multiple reasons. I, I was, I was upset. I couldn't stay in New York and I knew that, um, in order to get the roles that I wanted to, I had to diversify and I had to really, really spend the time focusing on the television end of it. Um, so I did, and I came back to LA and I started doing those small, those small roles and gaining people's trust and learning about how to work on camera. And then smash came along, you know, um, and kind of, and we all know how that ended up. (laughs) Did did you get the, did you get asked to audition for smash based on your contacts in LA or New York? Because I think it would, I think I'll let you answer first. No, let's be super clear. Nobody asked me to audition. (laughs) It was in, um, it was in, uh, it was during pilot season. No kidding. What, What was very helpful is that, um, the, uh, the person who produced nine to five, uh, Bob Greenblatt, what it smash was his project and he was he had just taken over at nbc so he was aware of who i was because we'd worked together for years but nobody asked me to audition for it <laughs> it was one of those like my agents and manager at the time got me a an an appointment for it and i went into the los angeles associate casting director and put myself on tape like everybody else i did all the scenes i did the songs and um yeah so <laughs> there was no wow. like, yeah, there was no like, will you come in and read for this? No. <laughs> I, I, my, yeah, my, I, I would have just figured that there would have been a short list of, of people who are amazing on stage that are going to translate well to camera and you were on that short list and then it was just an easy choice, right? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's a brutal business and it rarely, rarely happens like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, there's so much rejection and so just so mm-hmm. much struggle. Like you said you pound the payment and I think it takes a lot of a lot of strength, a lot of a lot of chutzpah to be able to say, you know what? I'm I'm freaking angry with this city. Here, I'm going to go to a different one. Mm-hmm. And and be able to bounce back and forth between the two when needed because I've been so angry with New York sometimes and I just hibernate. I sit in sure. I sit in my my office here, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to wait to feel better. Yeah, yeah, and that works. It works too. <laughs> At that point in my life, I was like, I need to go. Ch- I need to switch gears. I need to focus on this. You know, this door has closed, so I need to like burst open some other doors in in LA. And the other part of that was I I had already lived in Los Angeles for years at that point and I I'm happy here. I'm happy with the sunshine and the space and you know at that time I was going for hikes all the time. I don't anymore. Um <laughs> but uh I I just, you know, I I I liked being here and uh when it really came down to it, I was like I'm not happy in New York. I'm and I am happy in the sunshine. I need to go. I need to go focus on these other things in the sunshine and get my 
get myself together so that I can, you know, when I come back to New York, it's in a, it's in a better headspace mm-hmm. um, than, than how I left it. Well, then fast forward a little bit to, to I guess now and the, the wicked fandom, the wicked family, you, you, you said you helped originate the, sit, the first sit down cast out in LA. No, and, that was for nine to five, not for wicked. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So wicked. Yeah. But okay. So you're part of this wicked legacy. It, it really is becoming this legacy of amazing individuals that once you become an Elphaba or a Glinda, or even to some extent, the Nessa Rose and a Bach and a Fierro, oh, sure, like yeah. these, these mean roles that you, it, the show itself gets so much attention constantly, even after 20 years, right? They just had the, the uh, 16 years, the 16 was I'm it 16 years? 16 yeah, because yeah, I came in nine months after it opened. Um, and I did the first Wicked Day uh, where they shut down, you know, the Gershwin like alleyway mm-hmm. and, like, and 51st Street. Um, yeah, and they did. Yeah. So this whole this whole show, though, has changed so many lives and influenced so many people and inspired so many individuals to to follow the same path. Uh, at the time, I guess looking back on it now, you have a lot of perspective, but at the time, were you able to sort of understand the level of importance you were playing in the legacy of the show? Well, I mean, there was no way to understand like how it would affect like the future. Like, you, you know, there... I had just come out of college and I was terrified. I was, I was legit terrified. I came in, uh, uh, right as Kristen Chenoweth and Laura Bell Bundy were leaving and me and, uh, me and, uh, Jennifer Laura Thompson were coming in. So Jennifer Laura Thompson took over for Kristen and I stood by for her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was a, baby. I was a baby. It was my first thing. Like I just graduated and, um, it, it was not lost on me how huge that show was. Um, you know, I was reminded every day when we went out the stage door. Um, and luckily I just thank my lucky stars every day that social media wasn't the way it was back then. Cause I don't know if my, I don't know if my mental emotional state could have really like handled that. I can barely handle it now. <laughs> but with Wicked, there's so much like brutal comparisons and like, oh, everybody's got their opinions that just must be aired. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think I, I don't think I could have handled that. You know, um, I couldn't, that's a, yeah. That's something that I think uh, is worth talking or at least acknowledging right here is, is that the people that are being talked about read this stuff and are also real people and feel things. We're you know, humans. People, and yeah. and it's not like we're phoning this stuff in. We're giving it everything we have and for people to just like brutally tear it apart for what? Like that it just seems so unfair. <laughs> I saw the I was at the reopening of Moulin Rouge the other day. Uh-huh. And and of course Karen Ali was not there anymore. Natalie, Natalie Mendoza's there. And immediately the first thing these two people behind me started talking about as soon as intermission came was this, this like debate over who they thought was better. It was Natalie or Karen. That's I think, I think it's, it's crazy to me. Um, it is crazy to me how, how people, um, dehumanize us like that. It, it's, it's really crazy to me. Uh, and, 
and really feel a sense of entitlement and ownership over us, this stage door stuff has gotten like crazy out of control, like crazy out of control. Like the, the amount of, uh, of like verbal abuse that I have suffered because people thought they were giving me a compliment after I've just like sweated and given all like everything I had for hours on a stage, you know, and people think they're giving you a compliment and think that they have the right to talk about your body and all of these things. Like it is, it is beyond me, the sense of like dehumanization that, that, that people, it's, it's just crazy to me. And that is so horrendous to hear people doing that in, in, in a theater, in the middle of someone's performance that, they're just, I, yeah, that's, that's really, it's too bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost, I did almost say something and, and but I didn't want to get into what, it. To what end? Well, yeah, you know, well, what, yeah, what, well, what's that going to do? You know? But it's yeah. like, it's, it's literally her, her opening night, her first time on Broadway I mean, in forever. Yeah. And, and everyone's a different person. Ugh, right. And yeah. I, I just, I, again, I, I acknowledge the privilege that I have as a cis white man and not having to deal with a lot of the objectification that that people are put under, especially women and women of color and, and whatnot. And yeah, my mental state, now that you mentioned that, just people come out and they would say like, oh, I didn't expect this to be as as bad as it as it was, or I like you, I, I like you just as much as Idina, right? Like those types of things. They are backhanded compliments. Oh, yeah. And they are harmful. Words words are very powerful and they are harmful. And it's hard, it's hard to develop a thick enough skin to let that stuff bounce off, you know, yeah. and not stick with you. What um, do you what do you do? How do you recharge? Uh well, let's see. It's been a long time since I've done the stage door thing. And unfortunately, it was during Noises Off where I wasn't wearing... My costume was very revealing, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people really thought that they had the right to speak about my body to me, like at the stage door. And that that was so... It was so harmful. You know, even when you think you're saying something nice... like really like say those words to yourself and and really, really think about how that could be received before you actually say them to another human being. (laughs) It's like, it's, yeah, that one was particularly harsh. And that was a long time ago. Um, uh, I, I don't know what the future of stage doors are after COVID. Not that we're done with COVID, but like, like going forward, I don't understand what, if I were a producer, I wouldn't let any of the actors in my show be come into contact with strangers, you know, like <laughs> hordes of strangers and have them speaking in your face, yeah. you know, like uh, I, yeah, I don't know what the, the future of, of the stage during looks like um, just on a, a health perspective. That was the other thing. There was a while where like I was trying to, t- I, w- I was trying to take care of my health, you know, so I would, I would always go out of the stage door with my own Sharpie and, um, and, uh, someone was like, oh, well, why would you do that? And I was like, oh, just so that we don't pass germs around. They were like, that is so rude. That is so rude that you think that you're going to get germs from me. You know, it was like, hmm? what? What? first of all, that's science. That's like, science. That's science. Second of all, I 
have to stay healthy to keep doing these shows. And if I don't do these shows, you're going to go online and say I'm a terrible person and that I don't respect my job. Like it is a no win situation, you know? Uh, yeah, this, this has turned into uh, a <laughs> be kind at the stage door, you know, type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's really too bad. <laughs> it's, it's hard. People, people think that, doing eight shows a week is is something anyone can do. Mm-hmm. And it is far from, that's so far from the it's truth. It's the hardest this is, yeah. <laughs> this is the, like, look at something like Moulin Rouge that has an eight-minute sprint as an opening number, and then you're doing okay. yeah. these 180-degree these kicks and splits and dancing, and, like, the whole damn show is, it's this two-and-a-half-hour marathon yeah. that you're doing eight, times a week and then you've got you know the 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 wickeds and and all these other shows that demand so much of their performers and everyone especially if you haven't seen a show before or you've been obsessed with a cast album and then you're coming to see the show for the first time you want it exactly like that cast album and then the cast in the recording booth you can do multiple takes you can tweak it you can do all sorts of things to make it sound perfect and then like you said if you don't sound exactly perfect eight times a week you're gonna get dragged across the coals yeah i i would love it it would it would just be such a dream if audiences were just (laughs) and i i'm reminded of this when i see things too like i even if like i find little errors not errors or things that i think could be fixed or something then i'm like oh wait a second look at all of this stuff that we got, you know, like, yeah, maybe that would, that might be better if something, this little thing was changed. But like, on the whole, aren't we so lucky to be sitting here? Those two people sitting behind you were so lucky to be sitting there. All Mm -hmm. they should have been talking about is how wonderful it was to be back in the theater again. But no, it was all about comparing these two actresses that, yeah, they're going to play the role differently. Who's better? I mean, come on. It, they're different. Everybody's yeah, different. Everybody's and, different. Yeah. And the biggest advice that that I take away, the biggest like uh, thing that sits with me after a hundred and literally a hundred and eighty something interviews I've done in the podcast here, is is that you're, the more successful you are is a result of how much you embrace what makes you unique. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to emulate somebody else in a in a role, like when you step in as an understudy or a replacement or whatnot, you're gonna hurt yourself you're not going to be authentic you're not going to give your best performance period yeah and you and you're not going to please everyone anyway because no. there might be two people that were sitting behind them who disagreed with everything they said and to this point there were there was a whole family of of tourists next to me i say tourists i assume they were because they were not speaking english that's my assumption which is could be wrong uh but they gosh, it, near the end, and I forget, what, I think it's come what may, actually, Aaron Tveit's out there just pouring his guts out on stage, and they are bawling, just like, <laughs> like sobbing. Mm-hmm. I have not heard anybody cry like that in years. They were mm-hmm. sobbing at this stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're having the experience literally five feet away from the people behind me who yeah. are having, eh, yeah, it's a moderately enjoyable experience, but I guess, you know, to this point, right? Like, take take the criticism privately and don't have it in the middle of the show in intermission because the people next to me are having the time of their lives. Yeah, and don't don't ruin that for them. 
And I mean, the other thing too, I mean, art is subjective, you know, like, of course, everybody's entitled to their opinions, but like, like, of course. And, um, and of course, some, some performers are going to, you know, um, connect with you better. You're going to have a better connection with them than others. But like, man, can we start to like focus on the good stuff? Like, can we, can we please like... (laughs) Well, I have a I have a silly question for you. Speaking of the good stuff, so uh, given where you are now and everything you've done, do you still have pinch me moments? Who's like the greatest the person you've been? Like, holy shit, I'm 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 working with Stephen Schwartz, coming straight out of college. Have, yeah, no, I I have pinch me moments all the time. Uh, one of them is coming up this weekend. Uh, I so lately I've been doing a bunch of shows with Brian Stokes Mitchell, um, yes. who is like, <laughs> I mean one of the greatest voices of all time. And I get to do, I get to sing with him, you know, like as a job, you know? So yeah, I, I have that. Uh, This 54 below series of shows is a huge pinch me moment because I haven't played with my band for almost two years. Right. So the first, so here's a couple things that, that make this series very special. November 2nd uh, will be the first time our whole band is back together. It's going to be a very emotional moment for all of us and very joyous. So to witness that is going to be, I would think, something special. Because it's going to be special <laughs> for us. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and we're all going to be really excited and really happy. It's also... Me and my husband's birth or birthday anniversary. Anniversary. <laughs> it's our anniversary. It's our birthday. We have the same done. birthday. That's no, so cool. we don't have the same birthday. Uh, but it's our anniversary. So, and it's going to be the first time that we've left the house together in almost two years. Um, <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like, and gone yes. out of the city and state, and uh, uh, so it's going to be a really like that's going to be a real pinch me moment. You know, I'm. Uh, I, before everything shut down, I was grateful for these concerts to get to connect with our best friends, with my husband and make the music that we want to perform. Um, The only reason we're doing these songs is because we love them. You know, nobody's making us (laughs) do any of this stuff. So we're, we're, it's, it's truly like a joyous occasion. And this one in particular is going to be huge for us. Um, because I was grateful before now it's going to be a whole different thing, you know, because we've gone a couple of years without and, and once you go without, <laughs> especially something you love so much, you know, the, the appreciation just deepens. That's perspective. You don't know you're hot unless you've been cold. You don't know you've been in unless you've been out. I mean, it's the very basic level, it gives you perspective and just being, Back in theaters, I've seen almost every show possible that you know when the opportunity has presented itself in the last three three to four weeks, just because I can and I don't know now. Tomorrow, Delta variant could just explode and it could be shut down again for another who knows yeah. how long. So yes. I don't take any of this for granted. And the yeah. fact that this is a community, a, a chosen family that that love each other and respect each other and want to see each other succeed, and. <laughs> I, I missed it so much just, yeah, for the last 18 months. And really one of the few things that kept me going was these types of conversations that we're having right, right now with the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And some people are like, there's no Broadway. Can you continue doing your podcast? And I said, I have to. I have, have to continue. To. You have to. Connection. It's, 
the whole thing is about connection anyway. And at least we had this, right? Yes. Yeah. So at least being able to virtually see each other and smile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I imagine that that there's hugs and love and everything going around, but to not be able to actually touch it is as me as an extrovert, it was actually really, really hard. Yeah. And, you know, I still had a group of uh, a, a pod here that I was with yeah. um, group of people that I was close to, but it's just not the same. I love, I love like that experience, that feeling of meeting new people and being in a room of, of energy that, that, that is all focused in a, in one direction and heading heading together on the same journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So, of course, just to reiterate, November 2nd through 7th at 54 Below, get tickets to see Megan Hilty's show. We're going to wrap up here with the three closing questions I ask everybody on my podcast. Oh, boy. Oh, they're easy. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Oh. What motivates me? I... I don't know. Like, this is probably not the answer you're looking for. I just, I feel like there is this like freight train inside of me that is just determined to go where it's going to go. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that like there are any outside motivations. There's just something inside of me that's like, no, you, that you, you have to keep going and you have to go after that. I love that. I love that. There's no wrong answer. So that works. That works. Okay. So the next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Uh, take it easy on yourself. I, um, I, I look back on, on specifically like when I see old pictures of me, you know, and I think of how hard I was on myself, you know, for how I looked how I acted. Um, I wasn't this, I wasn't that. I was I focused on all the things that I wasn't, you know, instead of really like sitting with and and being content with what I was, you know, and I I focused so much on what I thought other people wanted me to be, um, that I I I could never truly be myself. Um and it it took a really long time. And, and to be honest, it's still a struggle to, um, um, to just, to, to know that I am enough. Where I am right now, I am enough. And what I bring to the table is worth something. Um, yeah, I, I, wish, I wish I could say that to my younger self and that my younger self would hear it. I don't know if I said that to my younger self, if I would fully hear it. Um, but, the, but that's the conversation I would have with her. I have to say that to my present self and yes. I still don't hear it. Yeah. 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 I hear it more now. I hear it more. And the older I get it, the, e I don't know if easier is the best way, but, uh, way to put it, but, um, I understand it more now. Uh, I wish, I wish I was, I could totally, uh, I wish I could sit here and say like, that's what I practice and that's. <laughs> and I am enough, uh, but but it it is a practice. It's something that's active that you're actively working on. Um, but yeah, I wish my younger self could have could have known a little bit of that. I like that. All right, so the last question, hardest one: If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Sweeney Todd. <sighs> and we're back. Sweeney Todd. 
I mean, this is the, this is the easiest one. What are you talking about? Like this is <laughs> this is the easiest question. Yeah, before I even finished finished reading the question, you were nodding. You're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, it's sweet time. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> Where can we find you online on social media? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just Megan Hilty. I got that little that little blue check. So little blue me. check. Little blue check. It's me. You can, you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. You can get more of the 54 Below podcast at bpn.fm slash 54 Below. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating and a review of both this podcast and the 54 Below podcast. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Intro and outro music by Jukebox the Ghost. And Megan Hilty, thank you most of all. This has been so much fun. Thank you. This has been delightful. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.